Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. So, so far today, we have practiced responsive prayers with the Psalms. We've practiced prayers of confession. We've practiced corporate career prayer of confession. We've practiced private prayer or personal prayer of confession. We have practiced reading, uh, using prayers from the history of the church. We've practiced breath prayers. We've practiced worship-based worship prayers. In all of that, there's something that connects with us. Uh, it's relatively painless, right? Prayer can be so hard. Prayer can be so difficult for so many of us because... Even though I believe strongly that the way that human beings are created, prayer is the natural language of our heart. It's what everyone longs to do. No one feels proficient at it. No one feels great at it. And so often our prayers feel like they're just talking into the wind, like they're just throwing our words away. This is why some people get the impression that prayer is more about what's happening inside of me than what God is doing or than communication with God. You ever heard that? Prayer's more about you. It's kind of like when people say, forgiveness is more about you than the person you're forgiving. That's a hogwash. None of that's biblical at all, right? It's, it's about what's happening in the heavenly realms. It's about what's happening with God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in me and outside of me. The point of prayer and the point of forgiveness and the point of, of these things that we practice as a church is to get the focus off of me and onto Jesus. Off of me and onto the work of God. Off of me and onto the good of others. This is one of the breath prayers that's written down. In Christ's humility, consider others better than yourself. I need that prayer all the time. In Christ's humility, let me consider others better than myself. And so I hope that these practices of prayer will, will find some root in your life, that if you don't have a regular prayer routine, well, at least one of these will strike you or, or strike a chord with you and will become part of your normal practice. And so I've included this insert this week. Next week, I'll include another insert with more prayers. Um, and through this series, I'll continue to give you prayers to add to your library. Um, and if they're small enough, stick them in places you'll see them throughout the day. Um, one of the greatest places to pray is washing dishes. You're stuck in one spot doing a mindless chore. Put a prayer in front of you and just pray it. Um, any kind of activity you have like that, don't do it while you're driving, okay? Like, don't stick it to your windshield. That's not smart. That's not smart, all right? God loves you too much for that. Um, so, as much as we struggle to pray, I'm, I'm hoping to give you practical tools to do it. Now, uh, like I said, this is the fifth Sunday. On fifth Sundays, we do a Q&A um, in the midst of whatever series that we're in. And so you can text any questions you might have about prayer to that number, and it will come to my phone. Um, and so I'm hoping people have some questions about prayer uh, that I can answer. Otherwise, we're all going home right now. I shouldn't have said that because now nobody's going to text me. Right, that, that was dumb, Brandon. I did, didn't I? Man, I'm good at that. I'm good at setting myself up that way. Um, it's okay, because I got a list whether y'all text or not. <laughs> I came prepared. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have any agents in the congregation today. Usually I like spread them out and give people questions to ask. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, 
I called you out on that one. Um, Jonathan asks, debtors or transgressors? Um, <laughs> in the Lord's Prayer, you know we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who trespass against us or trespasses. Trespasses, bro. Um, I don't care. Pray whatever you want. Either one, debtors or trespasses. Um, there is something going on at that part of the prayer, though. As you read the Lord's Prayer, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, if we want to pray the Lord's Prayer in a way that actually is meaningful and not just empty and, and pointless, so many times so many people get um, frustrated with some of the things that we do in church because they seem like they have no meaning or they're just things that we do in their rote and their routine and they don't have any emotional meaning to us. Now, that's a whole other topic that we can talk about because there's value to doing things even when we don't feel the meaning of them. Um, but in this particular instance, I think when we come to that point of the Lord's Prayer about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, um, that, that's a part of the prayer that really should hit hard and at home for so many of us. Because there, I am the chief of sinners here when I say that there are so many times it is easy to own God's forgiveness of me and not pass that on to others. And this part of the prayer roots that and lays it down. And, is, and when you read it at face value, it is saying to God, please forgive me as I forgive others. Now, do I really want God to forgive me the same way I forgive others? Most of the time, no. I want far more grace from God than I am willing to give others. And yet this prayer this part of the prayer reminds us and roots us and says, as we have been forgiven, it is our duty, it is our responsibility, it is our act of worship to forgive others in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. That, that's huge. So debtors or trespasses, doesn't matter. Let that hit home. Let it hit home hard. All right, we got another one. I will not call everybody out, I promise. Um, <laughs> tips on listening for answers to prayer. Paul, oh, this is a tough one, right? Anybody have a hard time listening for God's voice? Like you don't know what God's voice is. You don't know what he's saying. You don't know if you're hearing your own thoughts or God, right? That's, that's the biggest issue so many have. Actually, I'll, I'll step back. The, issue, the biggest issue I think most people have in hearing God is that they're not quiet enough. We fill our days with sound. We fill our days with other things. We don't give ourselves the space and the time to hear from God. If you were at our last Hillside meeting, some of you are new, you don't know what Hillside is. We're becoming Hillside Church in the fall, and we're taking this summer to kind of plan and envision what God is going to do through Hillside in the fall as we join a new denomination. So we're doing these monthly meetings. We begin those meetings with prayer. And um, last, at our last Hillside meeting, um, we did eight minutes of listening prayer, which is eight minutes of silence, not us talking. It begins with a prayer to God to clear our minds and for the Holy Spirit to speak. And then we just listen. And we do eight to ten minutes because it takes five to six minutes for our brains to clear out to be able to hear from God. Because we're, we've still got stuff going on in here. And I think the problem for most of us in hearing from God is that we never give ourselves space and time and quiet enough to hear God's voice. And then we don't know what God's voice sounds like. So if we do get that space, and most of us don't ever get it, but if we do get that space, so many of us don't know what God's voice sounds like. And here's one reason we don't know what God's voice sounds like. 
because we don't know the scriptures. If you know the scriptures and you know how God speaks and you know what God has said, then you can test whatever you hear by those, by the scriptures, by what God has already said. Because if you feel like God is telling you something and it contradicts anything in his word, he didn't say it. Or if you feel like God is telling you something and there's nothing in his word that points to that, he didn't say it. Years ago, people were saying this style of music is of the devil. There ain't nothing in scripture that backs that up. So, first is to know the scripture. Know what God has already said to be able to know if what you're hearing is actually from God now. You got to know the Bible. You got to know God's word. And if we're trying to hear from God and not investing in his word, then we are at a lot. There's just no future for that. You got to know his word. So that's first, if you want to know what God is saying. Secondly, um, test it. Test what God is saying with people that you love and trust who are mature followers of Jesus. It sounds, it's so weird because like in our culture, at least here in, in this Reformed church, in this Reformed place, in our, in our tradition of Christianity, it can be really weird to go to somebody and say, I think God is telling me this. And yet that's what we need to do. Like we need to normalize that. Normalize coming to one another and saying, I think God is saying to me blank. And brother, sister, who's more mature than me, who's been following Christ longer than me, who knows my life, do you think that's true? Do you think God may be saying this to me? There were many times before I got married, when I was single, that I would go to one of my pastors or one of my small group leaders, someone I knew to be mature, and say, this is what I think God is saying. And they knew my life, they knew the scriptures, they had a mature walk with Jesus, and they could say, Brandon... I'm not sure about that. Or, yeah, I really do think that's it. And then thirdly, one way to test what you think God is saying is to step out in faith. If you feel like God is telling you to do something and you're not sure about it, you're not sure if this is the voice of God or not, um, and you've tested the scripture and there's nothing in it that contradicts what you've heard, and you've talked to mature believers and followers of Jesus, and they've said, yeah, maybe that's what God is saying to you, then maybe it's time for you to take a step out in risk and in faith and just obey. And if it's of God, it'll work out. And if it's not, you step back and go, okay, I missed, that. I missed the boat on that one. I didn't hear right. But there are times, there are plenty of times when I think God honors the faith it takes for us to step out and do something, even if it's not exactly what he's called us to do. Because we're taking a step in obedience. And the more that you listen for the voice of God, the more you will come to understand what is the voice of God and what is not. What is an inclination of my heart? Because I can't trust my heart I trust Christ, I trust the Holy Spirit, I trust God. And so that's, that's some steps for listening. Is there anybody here who, is, who regularly hears from God in your prayer life? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. What does God sound like to you? It's almost like noise stops around me and I hear him very clearly. It's, it can't be confused with anything else. Mm, mm, yeah.
Yeah. And that is a, that's a clarity that's born of intimacy, right? That's a clarity that's born of long time spent in God's presence and knowing his voice. Um, I've got four more questions here. I, I, I don't know about it. Um, is it possible to over-spiritualize decisions that have no biblical, moral, spiritual context? That's a hard one. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> I read quick. Um, is it possible to over-spiritualize decisions that have no biblical, moral, spiritual context? Um, oh, man. Um, yes and no is the answer here. God made us rational creatures. He made us to use our brains. He made us to assess situations and to take the step that seems right. Um, yet, there is no decision we make that is too small to bring before the throne of God. And so it's a both and. Use your brain, and oftentimes that rational process will come in discerning and determining what we believe God has told us to do. He gave us a brain for a reason. He gave us rationality and reason for a reason, to be used in discerning his will and looking forward. And so I, I don't know that I love the phrase over-spiritualize in general, because I think we are spiritual beings, and there's not, everything ought to be come before God, and everything is a spiritual decision. Um, but if by over-spiritualize we mean, don't think about it, just go and do and follow your heart, then, then yeah, that's wrong, <laughs> right? We use our brains in conjunction with our coming before the throne of God. Um, am I the only one who gets upset when people pray for things out loud that they should say to someone? Like, Lord, please let Michael repent and go to church whenever Michael is within earshot. Yeah, that's wrong. Um, Passive-aggressive prayers are wrong, period. That's, you are not the only one, my friend. Um, yes. Um, pray quietly or out loud. Either or. Both and. Yes is the answer. Um, you pray quietly in your heart. You pray quietly in your mind. You pray aloud. There are times when your emotions demand that you pray aloud. There are times when I am so upset about a situation, the only real recourse is to, to yell. That's me. That's, that's, that's me. Right? May, you, you may handle your emotions differently. Um, now, not in, not in places that are going to draw attention to us, because prayer is not about drawing attention to me. We heard Jesus say that a few weeks ago. Um, we, but we pray in whatever mode is befitting the situation. Um, and so we don't pray in a way that brings attention to ourselves. We don't pray passive-aggressively. We don't pray sermons to other people. But we pray quietly or aloud as the situation uh, dictates. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, there are times you don't have the words and you let the Holy Spirit pray. Mm -hmm. Amen. Uh, yeah. They're, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not taking these in any particular order, and you guys don't know what order they came in anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, oh, here's a good one. Does God change his mind because of things we pray? 
Um, yes. Can I say that? Is that okay? There are circumstances in the Old Testament where we read, because of the response of God's people, God relented or repented of what he was going to do. God had determined to judge his people, to punish his people, and because of their repentance, God repented, and the literal translation would be changed his mind. Now, behind that, what's happening behind that is really what's at question here. Not the action of God changing his mind, because that's what it looks like to us, and that's what the scripture explicitly says. I'm not making that up. I'm not going against the Bible. What's happening behind that, some people will say, well, yes, but God knew they would repent, and so God never really was going to do that thing in the first place. Because God knows all, and God sees all, and everything happens according to God's will. And then there are others, like me, who would say, no, God had his mind set on action, and because he's given his people freedom and promised if they repented, he would relent, that's what happened. God responded to his people. And I think there are times in our lives that um, there's something good for us that we don't ask God for that we don't get. And there are times in our lives when we come before the throne of God and we ask for something and God responds and does that thing and, and gives us that thing when he wouldn't have done it otherwise. God responds to his people. We are not robots. And God did not create a universe with absolutely every minor detail already planned out and everything's just going according to God's plan. I think if you do that, if you live according to that way, you make God into this deterministic being who's already mapped out everything. And then you have no response when people say, what about evil in the world? What about bad things in the world? Did God plan all of that? You make God the author of sin. And God is not the author of sin. And so, yes, God responds to his people. And I think, I believe, according to Scripture, that yes, God changes God's mind about what God is going to do based on the prayers of his people. Even Jesus' brother James says, you get jealous of one another and you want stuff, but you never ask God for it. And so you're, you're trying to rip off your brothers and sisters and be envious of them when all you had to do was come and ask God, but God hasn't given because you haven't asked. That's the import of that passage. And so, yeah, yeah that, we get into a really tricky situation here where we're talking about different theological traditions and understandings about God and how God has worked. I'm telling you, based on Scripture, my understanding is that God does respond to the prayers of his people. Should we hear God every time we pray? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Right? Um, I want you to think about prayer as a conversation between a child and a parent. When you have a new baby. You communicate with that baby, but not with words, right? That baby is not talking to you. Um, you're communicating with that child, and you're, and you're telling it things, but it, it lacks the function and ability to be able to respond to you rationally and in words you can understand. And then as you grow with that child, you become more and more conversant until one day that kid's an adult, and you're finally talking to this child of yours like a peer, 
It's amazing, right? Like our communication grows as we grow in intimacy. It's the exact same way with God. When we first come to prayer, we will not be efficient at hearing God's voice. We come like the baby. We are babbling and we don't know really what we're doing. And God is speaking to us, but we don't necessarily even know how to hear. That baby doesn't understand the words you're saying. They may understand the emotions that you're sharing with them. They understand the caresses you're giving. They understand the support, but they don't understand the words you're speaking. And I think it's the same way with God. Learning to distinguish and discern God's voice is much like a baby growing up in a household learning to communicate with their parents. We grow in our ability to connect with God and to hear from God. And at first, maybe all we feel is God's embrace. Maybe all we feel is a comfort. Maybe at first we don't feel anything. And then as we grow, we learn to discern what is of God and discern what God is saying. And this is why so many people give up on prayer. And this is why it is so important to be persistent in prayer and not give up. We give up because we don't think anything is happening because we are those babies. And so we think, well, there's no point in this. It's not accomplishing anything. And then, but as we grow and as we persist in the practice of prayer, we grow in intimacy with God and we learn to know him more. It's also why it's so important to continually read God's word and to know what God has said and to grow in intimacy with him through his word and through prayer. Questions on that? I mean, any follow-up on that? That's a hard one. Is constant prayer achievable? <sighs> yes and no. Um, I'm just, I mean, I can't, you, so many of these questions, you cannot come down hard on one place. Um, is constant prayer achievable? If by constant prayer you mean a constant, ongoing dialogue in my mind with words, then no. We have to think. We can't be distracted. Psychology tells us that there's no real thing as multitasking. Our brains can't do it. We cannot process that much at one time. So if we mean a constant verbal dialogue with God in our minds and in our hearts, then no, I don't think constant prayer is achievable. But if we mean a constant abiding presence of God with us all the time, then yes, constant prayer is achievable. And this is where we get to our definition of prayer. Is prayer a dialogue that we have with God or is it a presence? Is prayer being in the presence of God? If you're married or you're in an intimate relationship or you've just been part of a family that loves to be together, you know there are times of silence together, right? And would you say that those times of silence are unproductive or don't matter? Sometimes the times of silence mean the most. And so if by prayer we mean constant dialogue, I don't think that's achievable. But as the same, in the same way as we have these intimate relationships with one another where we spend time together even when no one's saying anything and we still, those times are still building up our relationship, it's the same with God. The more that we spend time with God and have an abiding presence of God with us all the time, uh, the more we grow in that constant prayer attitude. And then as we grow in that constant attitude and presence, we begin to learn how to respond in real time to God. So many of us have to take quiet time away to be able to hear God's voice and respond. The more intimate we get with God, the more that we hear his voice on the regular, the more we can respond to God in real time. And this is not all some like mystical mumbo jumbo stuff. This has been historically practiced within the church from way back in every single tradition even the traditions that most emphasize the mind. This is not kind of out there stuff. 
Um, is praying in a group important? Praying aloud in a group important? Now, I don't know if you mean like individually praying before a group, or you mean like in the group everybody praying aloud. Um, I, when I was growing up in a very charismatic tradition, um, it was our practice normally when everybody was together praying, everybody just prayed aloud all at once. It was a loud mess, and I loved it. It was wonderful. Um, and I don't think there's chaos in that at all. There wasn't for us. Um, in, in traditions like this church is from, where it's a much more quiet, much more um, mental tradition, or much, much more emphasizes kind of the head, um, we tend to pray silently in groups. Um, one thing I will say is that um, it's not necessarily important that um, everybody learn how to pray before other people. But I think it is important to have a kind of intimacy with God that you're not intimidated or afraid to pray in other people, in front of other people, right? So there's, there's a prayer in front of people that can become performative. I was hanging out with a pastor um, some years ago, in fact, one of my predecessors at another church, um, and so I was sitting with him and he said, Brandon, there are weeks when the only prayer I've done is in front of my church, publicly. And he was confessing that by saying, my prayers have become performative, They've become a performance for other people. And I confess, I've done that too. I've done that here. Here's my heart on a table, right? Spirit, if you'd like. But I've confessed that I've done that. I get caught up in my week, and I'm not in a regular attitude of prayer. Um, So there's that kind of prayer in front of people where it becomes a performance. So um, on the one hand, no, not everybody has to be comfortable praying in front of a group. On the other hand, I hope that in our intimacy with God, we become comfortable enough that praying in front of a group is not something that's scary or intimidating because we're just talking to our Father. Make sense? All right. Um, And my my theologian friends who are in the room, if there's any point you're like, "Mm," please raise your hand and let me know. Um, There are some of y'all in here. All right. Um, Sometimes prayer feels selfish. How do you get over that? Knowing you need God for everything and anything and we are just a small little drop in an ocean? That's a great question. That's so good. Sometimes prayer feels selfish. It does. Sometimes it does. Um, Remember I told you prayer is like growing in relationship with your parents, with your family. Babies are the most selfish creatures on earth. They're not selfless. They can't care for themselves. They can't provide anything for them. They don't give you anything. Right? If it weren't for the hormones in your body as parents, there would be no reason to care for this child. Right? It's the love that you have for them, unless you've adopted. If you've adopted, I'm sorry. But the, the fact that the child is there and you've chosen to love it is the only reason you care for that child. Right? You've made the choice to love this kid. They don't give you anything. They're not giving you anything. The stuff that's coming up, the feelings that you're feeling, those are all within you. Some of them are driven by hormones. Oxytocin and estrogen, right? Those are working up in you to make you feel affection for this child. Or they're coming up because you've chosen to love this child. But in any case, that kid isn't offering you anything. And in the beginning, you are just a self-giving person, right? Moms, you're milk machines, right? Dads, you're just there to cuddle and snuggle and care for them. And as we grow in a relationship with God, it'll feel at the beginning much like we're that baby. Like we don't have anything really to offer. 
Remember the story of the good news of Jesus. We brought nothing to the table. God brought everything to the table and covered our sin to make us one with Jesus and his people. That's the story of the gospel. And so I get the freedom to come in my prayer and say, God, I need this and I need you. And as we grow in prayer and intimacy with God, and as we grow in intimacy with his people, our prayers will become more focused on others. But this is also why we distinguish between different types of prayer. There's the prayer of confession. There's the prayer of petition, which is self-centered. Petition is asking things for me. There's the prayer of intercession, which is others-focused prayer, where I'm praying to God on behalf of other people. There's thanksgiving. There's praise, which is God-focused prayer, where I am giving God glory for who he is, and I'm thanking him for what he's done. And so it's why it's important to pray different kinds of prayer as well. They're not all petition. They're not all confession. They're not all praise and thanksgiving. They're not all intercession, right? We, we blend in. This is why the Lord's Prayer is so important for us because it blends in all those types of prayer into one simple prayer that keeps the focus off of us. Um, it's getting late, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up. Um, If you continue to ask God for an answer and do not hear his answer, is that a no? Do you continue praying for it? That's not a no. There are times when God is silent for years upon years upon years of prayer. We are told to be persistent in our prayer. Um, I would never take God's silence as a no. I would take it as an invitation to continue. Now, there will be times when you sense this is not going to happen. Um, The question that I would ask then is what I'm praying in line with God's will. If I'm praying for the salvation of someone who doesn't know Jesus, you keep that prayer forever. There is never a no to that prayer. Never. Right? That we can get into the theology of God's choosing and whatnot at some other point. But we're told in Timothy that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the Son, to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so if I'm praying for the salvation of someone, there's never a point where I'm assuming God is telling me no. I'm going to keep that prayer up. Now, if I'm praying for that house at that address because it's really where I want to live, there's a time God may be like, nope, that is not your destiny. That's not for you, right? There's nothing wrong with asking for that house at that address, depending on the condition of your heart. But that's definitely something God may eventually say no to. Or maybe you just keep praying for it. But I would never take God's silence as a no especially when what I'm praying is expressly in line with his will as laid out in the Bible. Uh, one more, I think, I think only one more, um, and this is important. Tips for praying when you have ADHD. Um, and then in parentheses, this person says seriously because they anticipated our response. Right? Um, as a person with, with mild ADHD myself, um, or at least who's been accused of ADHD <laughs> by the people who know me best, um, this, is, this is a hard one, right? This is a hard one. And this may be one of those things where you learn, where you pray and you use the same tools that you've used in the rest of your life in prayer. Prayer is not some special magical thing that requires special handling, right? Prayer is a conversation like any other that you have. If you have a, a condition like ADHD or you have a condition that causes you not to be able to focus, then use the same tools that you use in the rest of your life in prayer. I have to have music playing or something going all the time for me to focus on 
anything. If you catch me at the office by myself, I'm probably not getting anything done (laughs) because there's nothing happening to keep my mind occupied, to keep that, that, that secondary thing going. And I told you earlier, we can't multitask, right? But for those of us who have hard time focusing on one thing at a time and then keeping it clear, we need something else happening just to give us enough ability to be able to focus on the one thing, right? At least I do. I don't know about you. So I, I, am, I am a proponent of psychology. I'm a proponent of therapy. I'm a proponent of the, the tools that God has given us through science and through counseling um, to use those tools in our spiritual lives because we are whole and complete beings. We, God wants us to approach him holistically. And so whatever tools you need to cope in your normal day and to focus in your normal routine, use those in prayer. It's okay. God made you. God knows you. God understands you better than you understand yourself. And so don't think that you have to like lay everything aside to come to prayer like it's some special thing that you do. The whole point is to make prayer such a normal part of our lives and routines that we don't even have to think about it so much anymore. It's something that we do and a place that we live. And that's that constant prayer that someone was asking about earlier. Mindy. Yes. Yes, brown noise. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle this last question, and this will be the last one. Don't text me because I ain't going to answer. Um, I'm going to tackle this last one, but this person is asking for a sermon, so I'm not going to uh, do that. They asked me to, to compare the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6, which we typically call the Lord's Prayer, to Jesus' prayer in John 17, which we call the high priestly prayer. Um, and in short... When Jesus gives this model of prayer in Matthew 6, as I've told you before, he's adopting a regular model of prayer that's normal to Jewish life. He's adapting a couple of different prayers that a faithful Jew would pray every single day. The Amidah um, or the Esre. And um, so he's, he's taking these prayers that are pretty long and pretty big and he's bringing them down and basically saying, when you pray, you can pray simply. You don't pray for the benefit of other people. You don't, pray for, you don't pray for the view of other people, right? You pray for the benefit of others and interceding for them. But you don't pray to be seen. You can pray simply because God already knows all things. And so there's no need to build up your prayers with flowery language. That's, math, that's the, the sample prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6 to follow, the pattern of prayer. In, G, Matthew, in John 17, Jesus goes on and on and on praying for his people praying for his followers, praying for unity among them, praying for the Holy Spirit, praying for his church in the future and everybody who will come after. And so Jesus prays this long prayer. Now, it's not wordy in the way that Jesus was warning against before, and it's not performative in that Jesus is performing for his disciples. This is a prayer sermon from Jesus for the benefit of the disciples who are following him right then, and also, this is, a, um, this is Jesus being persistent with the Father. He repeats himself multiple times, 
And when you see repetition in the Bible, I hope we all know that when you see repetition in the Bible, you're supposed to pay extra special attention to it. And so Jesus is praying over and over again. And what's the primary theme of that prayer in John 17? Unity. Jesus is the unifying force behind his disciples at the end of Gospel of John. He knows once he goes, if they rely on their personalities, they're going to splinter all over the place. And so Jesus has to cement within them unity apart from his personal physical presence so that when he goes, they will be unified in the Holy Spirit and understand what is happening. That's the prayer in John 17. And so it gives us permission to pray lengthier prayers. It gives us permission to pray for the unity of the body. Um, But the normative prayer that Jesus gives his disciples is Matthew 6, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is a model for us to follow. Cool? Right? All right. Man, I didn't prepare for that question, so I don't know how that went, but thank you. I I enjoy these times of Q&A. They're fun for me. I hope they're informative for all of us. Um, But today, really, like I said before, the hope is that we will each grasp onto some method of prayer. If you don't have a normal routine of prayer, my hope is that through these practices today and through getting practical wisdom for prayer, um, you'll find something to hold on to to continue. Uh, It's late. I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to, we're going to close with just the Lord's Prayer instead of our final song, if that's okay. And so if you would all arise, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And so join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.